The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you, and I hope if you've been with me before that you come here looking for that pragmatism, that rationalism, that belief that I'm an American first, a Muslim voice that you want to hear, that you hope gains traction, that you can use as a barometer by which to judge other voices that exist for reform, other voices that are non-apologetic, that should join us in building that cacophony of voices against the Islamists who are the problem, that are part of the Islamic establishment. And I, in a protesting kind of way, call this program Reform This because it's almost in a sarcastic and a demanding and a forceful kind of way telling my faith community we had better reform this yesterday. Yesterday and reform it now. Not sarcastically, just emphatically. If you want to take it as sarcasm, many people be- believe that only the ulama, only the scholars, only the imams, the shiuch, the sheikhs, the sheikh, the respected elders can ultimately reform. I believe any Muslim who can read the Quran, any Muslim who loves his faith has an equal seat at the table of reform. And one of the things I wanted to start with talking about today is what is our legacy? Why do we do this? Why do we build platforms? Why do I take the time to talk to you about this every week and all the other media I do, all the other writing, the communication through Twitter, Facebook, and what I put my family through uh, in the challenges of taking on the Islamist establishment who are all too ready to call us and people like me Uncle Toms, turncoats, traitors to the community. Well, one of the books that had an impact on me on uh, the value of individualism, of human rights, of ideas, was Ray Bradbury's Bradbury's, uh, Fahrenheit 451. And in that, there's a quote that talks about what does it mean exactly to leave a legacy. Many of us confuse personal notoriety with success. And I have to tell you, there's, and I talk about this in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, that I wrote back in 2011, was published in 12, and went paperback in 2013. And if you read that, you'll know that my message hasn't changed, despite the growth of some of my platforms. That ultimately, the vehicle for messaging, the vehicle for ideological conflict is certainly notoriety, is certainly respected voices, that they become vehicles. But if the goal, if the end point of that vehicle is ego, is personal success, that's not a legacy. A legacy is whether someone's work someone's mission translates into what we call in Arabic and in Islamic thought, sadaqajariya, which is charity that continues beyond your own generation. And obviously, all faiths believe that the most significant sadaqah 
is not only helping the needy, but building institutions. Churches, synagogues, mosques, or sadhakajariya. Charity for future generations. So let's look at what, what Ray Bradbury said. He said, everyone must leave something behind when he dies. My grandfather said, a child, or a book, or a painting, or a house, or a wall built, or a pair of shoes made, or a garden planted, something your hand touched some way, so your soul has somewhere to go when you die. And when people look at that tree or that flower you planted, you're there. It doesn't matter what you do, he said, so long as you change something from the way it was before you touched it into something that's like you after you take your hands away. The difference between the man who just cuts lawns and a real gardener is in the touching. He said, the lawn cutter might just as well not have been there at all, but the gardener will be there a lifetime. Fahrenheit 451. So, no no one can, and this is so important that it, it, the point here, I think, is that no matter what you do, if your intent, your intention is to leave something different with your, your own unique signature, you have left a legacy. A legacy that no one else can leave. And one of the things that angers me the most is these kids that are minimized, where others in their community, misguided parents, whatever it might be, make them feel that their contributions, because it wasn't a plus or wasn't a certain thing that had been preconceived for them, that somehow it's not good enough, that somehow it could be better. But the key for legacy is, the key for legacy is that you have tried, is that we have tried the best that we can to leave that unique gift that God gave us in a memory, in a lasting generational memory that will facilitate change in a way that only this human being could have done, not only in this generation, but in any time in history. That can be challenging, and I think one of the biggest challenges we have in our life is to figure out what that signature is. I might be wrong about my signature. Every one of our signatures is different, but I have felt since 9-11... And, you know, before 9-11, I had other professional aspirations. I had come to join my father in medical practice and still practicing medicine. I love nothing more than treating patients and their, that inviolable doctor-patient relationship. But sort of as that whim of what the dream of my personal signature would be, 9-11 changed my sense of what my personal contribution would be. And that's what led to the formation of our American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And whether it's related to that simple organization whose mission is to preserve and protect the U.S. Constitution through the separation of mosque and state and thus defeat and take away the oxygen of the Islamic State concept. From 2003, we formed that. ISIS didn't come up to 2013. But obviously, any honest Muslim, as I've said before to you, recognizes that Islamic states, be it Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, are all Sharia states are the problem. But what is our legacy? So that mission encapsulated what I feel I'm uniquely able to do. Not unique, obviously, nobody else, but I think that the blessings I had and parents that taught me to be intensely patriotic and American and love the freedoms that I had here that they didn't have in Syria, that sense of a need of obligation to serve in the U.S. Navy, that sense of growing up in the heartland of America in Wisconsin and being able to breathe religious freedom and seeing my family build that mosque separate from any Muslim Brotherhood influence and clerical oppression in the Middle East. 
and then serving and coming to the United States, I'm sorry, coming to Arizona after serving the United States Navy. And now in this mission of Muslim reform against Islamism, to me, this is what legacy is now. What I'll be able to succeed in in my lifetime, my detractors on the one extreme, the Islamists and the left say that's unnecessary and we're unnecessarily tough. And on the right, the far right, say that it's impossible and I'm tilting at windmills. I think somewhere in the middle is the majority of rational Americans that realize that, okay, we're not going to declare war on a quarter of the world's population, or even 30% of those, which would be five, 600 million people. We're not going to appease Islamism or theocracy, since our own founding fathers realized that that needed revolution to defeat. So what do we need to do? We need to take sides within the House of Islam. And that is my legacy. My legacy, I hope and pray, is that we realize that the free world needs to weigh in. The free world needs to take sides in this battle going on within the House of Islam. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your legacy, whether you're Muslim or not, of advancing Americanism. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Always great to be with you, and thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Today, I'm talking to you about legacy. And as an American, as a Muslim, I do have certain, all of us, each of us, have unique areas of our lives that drive us to do and commit to the causes that we commit to. We believe that that's how we were chosen and the gifts we have to translate into leaving the charity that lives on beyond our, beyond our own lives, that gives us that unique signature. I, I will ask you, I implore you, I beg you, while I'm always talking to you about taking sides within the House of Islam against the Islamists, creating a strategy against theocracy, you can do this also about your own legacy. I think our founding fathers came upon a formula for a nation state based in a constitution and bill of rights that was, I think, one of the most profound, unparalleled moments in human history. Because Despite all of the failures that we see happening in our own democracy right now in America, there is a spirit of unity, of belief that there is a dream, an American dream that every individual can be a part of. Every immigrant who comes here that buys into that, that believes in the equality of all, regardless of faith, belief, race, national origin, but regardless of any of that, that we are all equally endowed by our Creator to be citizens in this country, to be engaged Americans, and then equally endowed and obligated and responsible to defend those rights. So while my own legacy has that sense of 
need to reform and and, and protect this country from its threat. I let me step back one second about about my own legacy. I truly and I didn't finish this thought last segment. I truly don't do this because I believe my faith needs proselytization or evangelism. I I don't believe that. I think that is just not something we are taught to do in Islam. I know other faiths uh, like Christianity and others do that very actively and I applaud and will defend their freedom to do that. I personally just do not feel the Islamists call that da'wah educating others about the faith so that they may become part of it and yes i love my faith it doesn't mean you don't love something if you don't try to spread it i just think there's so many other priorities beyond that and i would ask you i think that what we should all be spreading is the evangelism of americanism and it's not just about our flag every flag if it's based in a sense of respect for the law, that all those are equal under the law, under God, and that there's a balance and separation of powers that finally end in a Supreme Court that defends that Constitution, protects that Constitution, and protects the rights of all to even say and do things that are egregiously offensive to other faiths, to other members of society, as long as they're not preaching violence, that becomes the antiseptic by which others can make those ideas radioactive without making them illegal and while protecting the sanctity of the nation state of America, of Britain, whatever country you may be from. I hope that your legacy that you choose is the advancement of being for freedom, for liberty. Too much, too many of us, too many of us spend too much of our lives crying about, yelling about, shouting about, whining about what we're against. That's not a legacy. How many people on their tombstone, how many people, when they talk about them, will say he was against anger, against hate. He was against whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I, there are those who say they, they, they gave their lives to protect America against Soviet communism, against German Nazism, against Japanese fascism in World War II. Yes, but the key here is to protect American freedom. It's a positive thing being for. And in order to protect it, you need to be against the threats to that. So yes, my work, my legacy, I believe is being against the theocratic elements of Islam, of, of Islam and protecting the personal religious freedom of the spiritual practice, pietistic practices of Islam. I believe that that is the faith of Islam and protecting it from the control monopoly of Islamist or Islamism. That is what my legacy is about, is advancing freedom, liberty for anyone to choose. And I hope you see your legacy as whether it's fighting against the oppressive forces of communism, socialism, oppressive forces of China, of North Korea, that you want to be part of a legacy of making sure that the American recipe, the American laboratory, doesn't go down in the annals of history as just another quote-unquote empire that suffered into dissolving from its own demise. Because that's what's going to happen. We see, and so many of my friends, if you follow me on Facebook and elsewhere, you'll see so many of my close colleagues like John Sutz, who helps on the website Save the West, who brings the attention to how websites like Huffington Post, like other far-left organizations funded by Soros and others are collectivists that are negating individual identity, negating national identity based on the principles of freedom in order to 
dissolve the influence and protection of individual identity in the name of bland collectivism. And by the way, books like Fahrenheit 451, when talk about legacy of the individual, isn't part of the gay rights movement, isn't part of feminism, a belief that every individual is made uniquely, that those who try to impose values against those individuals, be they misogynistic, be they homophobic, whatever they may be that the left tells us, are against, isn't there a talking point that they're against individuals? So this is why I'm, I'm always perplexed that there's such a, 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 a loss of so many of the core principles of the left, which is based in the protection of individual choice, as they say. And they forget that. So when it comes to their legacy, I have met many people on the left who, for whatever reason, believe in entitlement programs, believe in nanny state programs, but believe in a strong national defense and are strong American patriots. I served arm in arm in the U.S. Navy with many patriots that were not conservative, that were leftists, but they were, no mistake about it, they were patriots. So I think the George Soros's of the world have hijacked the movement on the left that to me I define today's American liberalism, not classical liberalism, but American liberalism as that ideology that believes in a significant role for government in protecting the collective. They are against and feel that free markets are harmful. I disagree with both of those elements. But they can be for strong national security. They're, for whatever reasons, against strong Second Amendment rights. And there's a list of what I think the rational left can be about. Now, obviously, we've had this debate between Keynesian economics and other free market economics, be it Friedman or others. So that's not the difference. That's the difference between left and right that I wish we spent most of our time on. But unfortunately, because of Soros's money, because of Huffington Post and other, other uh, um, entities that have hijacked the debate, I would ask, I think that if you took the patriots, the patriots in the left and the right, you would form an overwhelming majority, if not a supermajority of Americans that would begin to defend those universal human rights that is our American legacy. I want to leave this segment tell you about, as I've said before, Muslim leaders, thought leaders like Bassem Tibi, who talked about in his book Islamism being German, but yet never really feeling German despite living there for, for decades, that he was never embraced by an ideology that he loved, which was democracy and freedom, but yet it wasn't part of the German community identity. So I think the American legacy that I hope and pray every one of you, regardless of your faith or no faith, can advance globally is the sense that our humanity, and I tell my Muslims, the Ummah, not just Muslims, all people, our humanity can become part of what we teach that we think of as Americans as Americanism, but every country with its own flag should embrace an idea of equality, of protection of each person's rights and their universal human rights to be themselves in a very free way for their own republic, be they immigrants or native-born. That that idea that national identity of equality, of universal rights, and freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, is the ism. For us in America, it's Americanism. But that is the ism that I hope you can promote as being the legacy. When I met with the Egyptians 
when I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, I asked them, what is Egyptianism? The Saudis. How do you define Saudi Arabianism to them? It's Wahhabism and their theocracy. I hope the Saudi people later have a, another interpretation of that, which is about universal human rights. That's what I think everyone's legacy in America should be about. And then you don't have to become Sharia experts. If you advance that, you will defeat Islamism and help us in the Muslim communities reform this. This is Udi Jasser. We'll be right back. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. Then I think we can say she's not all that beautiful of a woman. How dare you? That's all right. Hey, look, I'm not a beautiful man. The reason why beautiful is interesting is because it's a little rare. It's a commodity. It's a very difficult thing to achieve, and it's why you know pretty much everybody who's hot. Uh, there's not a lot of us out there. <laughs> That's for sure. Sometimes you say things, and I, don't, I, I almost sure. wonder if you heard the last thing I said. <laughs> Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. I always look forward to these podcasts and our time together to share with you, I think, a little bit of the sentiment, the spirit that I hope you and I and others begin to engage, not only our Muslim brothers and sisters in the, the United States, but all of humanity's brothers and sisters. And as I said, what do we do with the platforms? The platforms that we are given, if they become about ego, about ourselves, the message will eventually die off and it turns into pandering. But if it's about a mission of reform, if it's about a mission of leaving a legacy, as we said, I think things change. Now, one of these platforms is the issue of political office. And I was talking to Tarek Fatah on Arizona radio uh, this week. Uh, he called in from uh, Canada, was uh, a guest on the show for an hour, on a sh another show that I ho hosted or guest hosted for uh, Seth Leibson and uh, Chris uh, Buskirk. And we talked about, he said there were six parliamentarians in, Can in the Canadian parliament that were Muslim and their population is barely one to 2%. It's way out of proportion, but he said there are so few activists that Canadians are often just not engaged enough in politics that they've ended up turning over, handing over political leadership often to the loudest, most active voices and Islamists you got to hand one thing to them is they are engaged not engaged about local issues per se for the most part they're engaged about their own pet projects advancing Muslim identity politics as their collective whole and also engaged to change American Canadian Western policy in dealing with Israel and Palestine their primary pet issue and protecting the Islamist regimes from Erdogan in Turkey to Saudi Wahhabis to the Khomeinists. And we have our own example here in Arizona of an Islamist who's decided to run for the Senate. She's already being considered a, a long-shot candidate, which is not a surprise, but bottom line is, is I've been waiting she declared a, a month or two ago and nobody's been looking into her background and sure enough with the bait of her traditional dress and her activism as a Islamist she was the head of the Council on American Islamic Relations in Arizona and then ultimately became the head of the Muslim American Society Freedom Foundation based here in Phoenix I don't know how long she did that, for a few years. I'll remind you, the Chicago Tribune 
in a investigative story, 2004, with two authors, one of whom was Muslim, did work into the mosque, Bridgeview Mosque, and others that ultimately saw money being raised for Hamas in that piece entitled in a three-part series, The Secretive Network of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. They identified the Muslim American society in that piece and also in federal court and the Holy Land Foundation trial that whose board members were convicted and imprisoned for funneling money to Hamas, terrorist organization, that the Islamist the Islamist platform is about advancing simply any entity that provides fodder and fuel for the collectivization of Muslims under one political blanket. So in the United States, we don't have religious parties. So different than in Europe, where the Muslim Brotherhood does often operate publicly and most often covertly, in the United States, they don't even, I, I, I would not even venture into conspiracy territory. I don't believe that they're covert. I think that the ideology of Islamism is what the Islamists believe in. It's like saying, what's the difference between a communist or a Soviet communist? Well, I don't think they necessarily would ever recognize that they're part of the Muslim Brotherhood party. But obviously, if you had transplanted their ideas into Egypt, they would have no-brainer. Many of these groups would be the Muslim Brotherhood. It's just not what they call themselves. So this is why if you make the Muslim Brotherhood a legal or a terror group in the United States, they would just form another party and call it the American Academy of Muslim Politicians or something, and they'd still be the Muslim Brotherhood. So the bottom line is, is that if you look at candidates like Deidre Aboud, who's now running for the Senate as a Democratic candidate, these are part of their platforms that they generate. She's already been posting posts about the Founding Fathers and other things, so it's clear she's trying to clean up our act, but nobody's done an easy background check about what she's written, what are her positions have been, who she's defended. And sure enough, debate is out there, and she posts her post about the Founding Fathers, and you have some trolls who then start posting on her Facebook page hateful, bigoted comments. Now, that no more represents Arizonans than Al-Qaeda operatives represent Muslims. And this isn't even a moral equivalency between the two. Uh, obviously, speech is not terrorism, but I'm talking about bigotry. So the Islamist militants, uh, yes, uh, bottom line is is that we should not be there is a and I, and I think the most important part about this is are we really that patronizing that condescending to muslims that when they run for office we don't hold them accountable to the same challenges that we do others and sure enough Lori roberts here locally in arizona then posts a commentary in which she highlights these comments that somehow this is a byproduct of Trumpism, it's a byproduct of America's hate, etc. Certainly there's a palpable amount of bigotry that has existed still. The Jewish community is beset with orders of magnitude more than any other community of hate and anti-Semitism that we see. But I'd like you to look out there and measure how many Jewish candidates who are in the House or in the Senate allowed their campaigns to become a grievance campaign about a collective guilt about the very significant anti-Semitism that exists in certain pockets of the American community. Now, that has improved and decreased over the years, but I would tell you that it is not. it does not do service, it does not do justice to these communities, to any minority community to engage us through a collective guilt of patronization that somehow, and then, you know, I know Jeff Flake uh, was very well-intended and tweeted out uh, support for Deidre, his Democratic, one of the 
Democrats in the primary that will be vying for his seat, and he told her to hang in there. And that's honorable. It's very praiseworthy. But she should have, A, ignored it, ignored all of this attention, and written immediately to Lori that, why is the first piece you're writing about my campaign not about the issues, but about my Muslim identity, which is of no significant priority? And if she is going to use that as a priority, then it should be about national security and the threat of the Islamic regimes and the global petro-Islamic establishment that is fueling many of the movements that we're trying to fight. Why? Not because she has anything to answer about that, but because we are uniquely positioned as American Muslims to fight that. Now let's look at her background. I wrote a number of pieces, one from May, I'm sorry, March 7, 2008, in which I talked about the lessons for American Muslims from the conviction of Abu Jihad. Hassan Abu Jihad was convicted by a federal court for handing over secrets online about the whereabouts of a ship he was on and served convicted to 25 years for treat should have been treason but basically violating and handing over secrets violating secrecy laws i believe he should have received the, the ultimate penalty he's a traitor and as an american muslim who served my country these are the kind of violations of american law of american loyalty that i think run to the core of what we're fighting against. And I said this in an op-ed. Now, who came to Mr. Abu Jihad's defense? Deidre Aboud, the Muslim American Society, Arizona chapter and Freedom Foundation director, previous care director. She dismissed him and to the LA Times, she said, was part of a victim mentality combined with a little delusion. That's what she said led to him handing over secrets. Not his loyalty problems, not his Islamism. And I said at the time, I'd imagine that she harbors under the delusion that the MAS and CARE and other American Islamic organizations have nothing to do with that victimization mantra, which she clearly acknowledges here as problematic, and yet remains the overwhelming central focus of the work of domestic Islamists like herself. So she didn't blame his disloyalty, his allegiance to Islamism and the jihad globally. She blamed how he became a victim of the environment in America that was oppressing him. Later, on behalf of local Islamists, she also, in reports in the Arizona Republic and other local media, had been calling to collect bail for Elton Simpson. Four years um, yeah, I think four or five years later, he and a friend then go on to try to commit an act of terror for ISIS against the Draw the Muhammad cartoon contest in Garland, Texas. They were shot dead by security at the place and thankfully were unable to commit any acts of terror effectively and thankfully were shot dead. But here you have a guy who... She, as a legal representative, told not to speak to the FBI, was being targeted by the FBI, and was on the verge of actually being indicted, but then was not. But he needed bail. And, and her organization and her defense tried to come up with his $100,000 of bail. And I believe they needed 10% of that. So this is what a Senate candidate should be assessed for. She claims to be all about the founding fathers, yet there are some bad actors who she's never come back to apologize or talk about how misguided she was. How many former radicals do we have come back that realize that they were misguided? in their misunderstanding of America and their embrace of Islamism and grievance issues. doesn't have any appearance that 
Deidre Aboud has any regrets for her participation with the Council on American Islamic Relations or with the Muslim American Society. So these platforms that they're trying to build, if it's about a legacy of becoming a senator, in order to help America locally in its healthcare, in its educational system, in its defense of religious freedom, in its programs, in its national security, that's great. If it's to also then, oh, by the way, I'm Muslim, and let me help use this platform to, to with a tough love, bring a pressure upon Muslims to address the core areas of reform, God bless them. That's what platforms are for. But if it's about to play the grievance game, to allow yourself to be patronized by those who say that, oh, you're such a victim of this collective heinous bigotry that exists. Meanwhile, you can count on, yes, there have been attacks by psychotic individuals, but not by large, huge movements like Islamists. Yes, we've seen Portland attack, the attack in Quebec and, and others, but this is not the tenor of what the vast, vast majority of Americans are. And I will not allow myself, and neither should any Muslim leader allow themselves to be identified or defined by those who may hate us. This is Zuri Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Thank you for being with me. And I want to end this week's episode in talking about, we've talked about strategy before, but there was an amendment this week that was presented by Arizona Congressman uh, Trent Franks to the uh, NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act. And in that amendment, Congressman Franks called for a proposal from the Pentagon, for the Pentagon, to study violent strains of Islamic doctrine. And it basically would have required that the Pentagon use some of its resources to study what are some of the inspiring ideologies of those who are committing acts of terror, of armed jihad against us? And unfortunately, no thanks to every Democrat in the House and no thanks to 27 Republicans, it did not pass. And hopefully with a few tweaks, it'll be represented and passed. What I can tell you is that what it asked for, it lost 208 to 217, but it would have required the study the link between Islamic doctrine and terrorism. That's a a no-brainer, isn't it? Isn't it basically a no-brainer? Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis would have had to conduct two concurrent strategic assessments of the use of violent or unorthodox Islamic religious doctrine to support extremist or terrorist messaging and justification. Now, I can tell you this is nuance, and, and, and the apologists, the Islamists like Congressman Ellison, who spoke out against it and CARE, who released all their press releases against it, talked about that the government, our government, should not be in the business of looking at religious doctrine. I think that the language could have been improved a little. Should have said instead of violent or unorthodox, should have said the use of violent Islamist 
religious doctrine to support armed jihad in terrorist messaging and justification. So I think those few words might have made it a little clearer that we're looking at a political ideology, which is Islamist, like communist or socialist, but not a faith. Islamic is an adjective that could refer to anything from a prayer rug to the Quran to Sharia or the Islamic State. Islamist for academics and those true to language is a political movement, a political party, a political belief that, yes, is tied to a theology, but it's still a political social construct, not a personal one. At least for the non-Islamists, it's not It's not personal. For the Islamists, it's... Islam is their Islamism is their way of life. Democratic Minnesota Representative Keith Ellison said that Representative Frank's amendment ordering a strategic assessment on Islam, which wasn't exactly what it said, goes against everything we strive to be. By ordering the DOD to scrutinize a single religion, identifying leaders for some unknown purpose and determine an acceptable way to practice Congress is abridging the free exercise of religion, which is constitutionally impermissible. So wait a minute, Congressman Ellison, when you gave your speeches defending the need for us to hand the Saudis $180 billion of weapons, that's not getting involved in protecting the government that hosts the world's religion? I mean, there's so many ways to say that we've crossed the barrier of state and religion, when in fact... Just because an ideology that's political cloaks itself with clerics and religious men with beards and their interpretations, and we want to understand that, to understand the threat that that somehow violates our First Amendment, that's nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. And I've testified to this to Congress before. In the testimony and discussions that we had in front of Senator Cruz, in front of the House Homeland Committee with uh, Congressman Peter King, and so many other times, we have over and over talked about the need to shift the axis of attention of the American public from countering violent extremism, which is a nebulous behavior, not ideology, behavior. So sometimes you can never predict it. That's why we've been missing so many of these versus countering violent Islamism which is the end violent point of a conveyor belt of ideology. Now, now, most of them will not end up in violence, but many of them will. And if you're following, like that's on the radar of these known wolves, many of whom that have traveled to Saudi Arabia, traveled to Syria and elsewhere that should be on the radar, and the Homeland Security folks tell you, oh, there's too many, what do we follow? Well, if they're... Social media footprint includes Islamist adherence to groups like Hezbollah, Hezbollah Tahrir, Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, and others, Hamas, then, and ISIS, obviously, then they should be on the radar as being high risk for violent Islamism. But if we tell our Homeland Security agents at the FBI and elsewhere that they cannot monitor nonviolent ideologies like Islamism and adherence to Sharia state ideas, then we are handicapping them beyond no belief. And I think this study would have begun the process of beginning to understand that. And it is a shame. It was a no-brainer that it should have been passed. And as I, as I told Congress repeatedly, I told them, do you really believe in these halls of Congress that our founding fathers did not have speeches and present ideas that rejected theocracy? Did they feel they were being anti-Christian? I was asked by Jackie Spire, a congresswoman from California, during one of my hearings. She asked me, I'm, I'm Catholic. I would never venture into weighing in in a public hearing about what is and what is not Catholic law and how that, are poor, how that applies to our church. That would be up to the leaders of our community. And I said, Congressman Spire, you know, you're reading from 
talking points likely from the Islamic side of North America, which are the theocrats. You sound like the theocrats in Iran. And this is the United States of America founded. These halls were founded on fighting theocracy. And yet, she had the gall to tell me as a Muslim who loves my faith and who's an American first that I cannot make statements in a public setting to educate my fellow Americans about the threat of political theocratic Islam. And if I can't make those statements, our, our DOD is not able to research it. The, the educational materials in our The educational materials in our DOD state and elsewhere have been purged thanks to the Obama administration and the Muslim Brotherhood influencers on the inside have been purged of most of the materials that would have addressed these issues. It is horrific. And we need to make up so much lost time now, almost 16 years post 9-11. So hopefully this will be reworked, but I think I, I couldn't let it go by that there's so much to be learned from looking at this NDA amendment that Congressman Franks had the courage to put forth. I mean, listen, Congressman Franks heads the Religious Freedom Caucus in the House, which is bipartisan. This is not a guy who is going around looking for trying to put Muslims in their place as the Islamist Congressman Ellison, who's raised money at over 30 fundraisers for care, has tried to make it apparent. So, thanks for being with me this week on Reform This. Think about your legacy. What are you leaving behind? What's your signature about the advancement of Americanism against any of the threats, not only Islamism and the need for reform? This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless you and thanks for joining me. See you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.